Welcome to the Wow Community Jokes. In March 2006, I went on a three-week mission trip to Malawi, Africa with a group of young adults. And I remember landing at the Malawi airport and when we walked out, there was so much greenery around. The, the trees and the bushes and the plants that were growing and the, there was the hustle and bustle of the city and buses and cars and motorbikes whizzing by. And my group and I, we all kind of piled in these little jeeps and we headed off on a four hour journey down south. And where we went was kind of along the border of Malawi and Mozambique. And as we continued this four hour journey and the back of this Jeep squished in there, I began noticing that the further we went, the colors started um, fading away. The, the vegetation and the produce wasn't as prevalent. Um, the, the, even the commotion and the hustle and bustle kind of just panned out. And suddenly we were driving in what felt like the middle of the desert and there was nothing around. And what became more and more prevalent was the poverty. As we continued to move toward our destination, I just couldn't believe how little there was. And then at the end of this three weeks of working at the orphanage, the Bible college, the ministry center, where then we'd go out with the locals into other small villages to have church and worship together and distribute food. At the end of all of that, we had to return home. But before we arrived home, after a long flight, we had a 12 hour delay in New York City. And in all of our young adult wisdom, we thought, hey, if we're going to be in the New York airport for 12 hours, let's go out and explore the city. But what I didn't realize was going to happen was the shock that it was going to have on my system, my body, my heart, my mind to go from extreme poverty to extreme wealth in a matter of hours. It actually took me months, if not years, to, to process that and debrief that. And I was actually reminded of this just the other day. I took my kids to Shoppers Drug Mart here in town. We were gonna have a movie night here at home. And I told the kids that we could get some snacks for the movie night. And we went to the candy aisle and I said, Kinsley, you can pick one thing. Landon, you can pick one thing. And then we'll get one thing for mom. And I just remember Kinsley suddenly screaming and she just grabbed her head and she's like, I can't decide, there's too many options. And it, it broke my heart and it just kind of made me step back and think, wow, how true is that? Can't you relate to that feeling? Sometimes you just have so many options facing you and there's so many choices to be made that it's just overwhelming and paralyzing that you're like, I, I can't decide. So then sometimes we withdraw, we hold back, we stay away. So how do we make decisions with confidence? What if I told you that there actually is a way to make decisions with confidence? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I, I want to invite you to look with me at the Gospel of Matthew. I want us to look at our rabbi, our teacher, the, the person who we follow, Jesus, 
at one of his tried and true techniques as to how he stayed grounded and made decisions. So let's jump into the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, and um, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you'll read with me. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you are God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy. It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. For the second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He sat him on top of the temple and said, Since you're God's son, jump. The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. For the third test, the devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were. Then he said, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me and they are yours. Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. The test was over. The devil left, and in his place, angels, angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. That translation was the message, and I chose to read from that tonight because I just feel like there's a real readability to it, and um, so it helps bring the story to life. Because what's interesting is that the biblical texts that Jesus references here in Deuteronomy are all taken from the story of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus had just come through the waters of baptism in Matthew chapter 3, just like Israel crossing the Red Sea. He now had to face Jesus 40 days and 40 nights in the wild, which is symbolic to Israel's 40 years in the desert. But where Israel failed and failed again, Jesus succeeds. So what Matthew's saying here is that in Jesus, we have a true Israelite at last. He's come to do what God's always wanted Israel to do, to bring light to the world, to bring life, forgiveness, salvation to the world, to everyone. We can actually take this back even further to Adam and Eve in the garden. There was a single command, a single temptation, and a single devastating result. But here, Jesus keeps his eyes on the Father. And in doing so, he launches a mission in, to undo the age-old effects of human rebellion. You see, when Jesus refuses to go the way of the tempter, he's embracing the way of the cross. He knows what he's choosing. The enticing whispers that echoed around him were designed to distract him from his mission, his central vocation, the road which his baptism had committed him to servanthood. You see, these temptations 
were meant to stop him from carrying out God's calling, the call to redeem Israel and the world. And while our temptations may very well be different, I believe the temptation that we all face every day and at critical moments in our lives have exactly the same point. They're not simply trying to get us to commit that sin or this sin. They're trying to distract us. They're, they're trying to, to turn us away from servanthood. They're trying to, to pull us away from Jesus. And you see, I firmly believe that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. God has a purpose for you. And his number one goal is to first be in a relationship with you. He longs for that. But be ready, because I also believe that the enemy will do everything possible to distract us from God and his purposes for us. He wants to pull us away. He wants to kind of turn our sights elsewhere. So how did Jesus do it? How was he able to resist the distractions and temptations and stay focused? And I know kind of the, the first response is kind of like, well, he, he was God. But we can't simply say that, well, he was God, because scripture tells us that when, when he came to earth, he gave up those rights, those divine privileges. And what that means for us is that what Jesus did is, is available for us to be able to do. We can follow his example. You see, I believe what this passage shows us is that Jesus made his decisions with confidence by removing distractions and focusing on his relationship with his heavenly father. And that is available for us. So how do we remove distractions so that we can deepen our relationship with God? How can we, we set aside distractions so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus? As God's children, we get to use the same defense Jesus did. Jesus saw through the trap. He saw through the lies, and he was committed to living off God's word. Jesus had stored scripture in his heart. Like Nowadays, we take it for granted because so easily we can have a Bible in our hands or on our phones. But back then, it wasn't accessible to everyone. They didn't have the printing press. But Jesus had stored scripture in his heart. He knew it, and he knew how to use it. That's an important distinction right there, because knowing how to use it, knowing what it means, is important. Because don't forget, the devil also used scripture out of context when he referenced Psalm 91. But also, Jesus kept his eyes on God and trusted him for everything. And what helped keep Jesus focus on God was by removing the distractions and fasting. I love how the message translation that we read puts it. It says, Jesus prepared for the test by fasting. His posture wasn't reactive to the temptations and the distractions, but it was this proactive posture of grounding himself in God by quieting himself, by paying attention. And it says he did this by fasting. Well, what's fasting? 
Fasting is simply abstaining from something, oftentimes food, for a set period of time. And most notably, it's practiced during the season of Lent, um, referring to the Christian calendar, where you give up something for 40 days preparing for Easter. But what fasting does is that it helps us step back from all the powerful voices that surround us daily and that encourage excess. And it helps us to focus that energy that would be spent elsewhere on God. It helps us turn our attention to God. Fasting, it helps create a posture of humility and a conscious dependence on God. Especially when you're giving up food, there's this need for food and, and that hunger kind of speaks for that, that dependence on God to sustain you and pull you through. And in fact, a couple of chapters ahead in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about prayer. And then he says, when you fast, you see, there was this presumption that his audience would already be fasting, that, that there was a desire to grow in intimacy with God. He presumed that they understood the need to remove distractions. And from the example that we have in Jesus, I believe that fasting helps us prepare for the distractions that will come our way by focusing our attention on God, by grounding us on God. For me, I chose to fast from social media for the month of August. And you know what? I loved it. <laughs> like so much so that I'm barely on it now. But you also have to be intentional that when you fast, you actually direct your energy and your focus and that time that would have been consumed elsewhere on God. So I made it a point for I tried two hours a day, which I know is a lot of time. But again, I'm a pastor and this is, this is part of my ministry, that two hours a day, I would simply listen to God. I would immerse myself in scripture. I would pray and talk to him and see what I could hear him saying back to me. And I absolutely loved it. So let me just ask you a simple question. What's something that you might need to give up in order to focus on God? Be careful how you answer that question. That plays into some of my testimony. And I remember answering, saying, I could give up anything and everything for God but he wouldn't ask me to. A few months later, he did. And if you wanna know more about that, I'd be happy to share that with you over coffee. But I wanna take things a bit further and I wanna bridge context with today's world too. In order to focus our attention on God, I believe we also need to do a few other things. And one of the things is we need to stop the scroll. This is actually a social media strategy that I'm somewhat stealing and I'm reapplying it differently. And the reason this is a social media strategy is because if you can't get people to stop the scroll, then no matter how amazing your message is, how amazing your product is, the people you're trying to reach will never hear your message. They will never see your product. You need to get them to stop on your ad so that they'll look into it further. So take note of this the next time you're scrolling through your feed and look at how advertising is trying to use different graphics, videos, colors, wording to get you to stop and to hold your attention and to focus on that ad. 
But do you see how this can apply to our relationship with Jesus too? If we don't stop the scroll and focus on Jesus, put our phones down, if we're continually sucked into the social media, local news, constant online activity vortex, then no matter how good the good news of Jesus is, we'll never hear the message. Like, we'll never hear him speaking to us. We'll never see him at work in our lives. From the passage of scripture that we read, we saw that Jesus went to the desert. He went into the wilderness in order to prepare and to focus on his heavenly father. We need to stop the scroll and focus on Jesus. And in addition to stopping the scroll, we also need to stop collecting gurus. I mean it, as I've admitted before, in the middle of the summer, my anxiety, my decision fatigue was at an all-time high. So I made the decision to re remove social media from my phone. Now, I know I'm harping on social media. That's my biggest distraction right now. And a lot of these messages are, are coming out of this place where I'm learning and growing so much. But you know when you deal with one issue and suddenly another one kind of pops out like boop, kind of like that hedgehog game. You smack one down and the other one pops back up. And it, it's because we're not dealing with the root issues. So there was something else I began noticing once I got rid of social media. Rather than checking my social media feeds, I was going to my inbox. I was going to my email and checking that because that was the one place that something new could pop up, new and exciting. And it was also this, this it gave me a sense of control that I was able to swipe through. And as I cleared out emails one by one, I, I had control over it. And I love having an empty inbox. I, inbox zero, that's my thing. But you know what? As I began sifting through the emails, I began noticing something. That many of the emails were from social media coaches, ministry leaders, church leaders, conferences, books I need to be reading for ministry, results and follow-ups from quizzes and assessments I'd taken regarding my Enneagram type, my leadership type, my personality type, and maybe the occasional which friends character are you? Um, <laughs> that's besides the point. But while there's a time and place for all of these things, and the information that some of these tools and resources can even offer can be quite useful, I found myself overwhelmed by all of these experts telling me what I needed to do, what my next steps needed to be, how I needed to think. They kept driving home this message that who I am is not good enough. I needed to be doing more. I needed to be doing this and that. And again, there's not a problem with any of these in and of themselves. And many of these I sought out at a specific, specific time to, to get some help and assistance. But the problem I discovered was that I had too many voices speaking at once. I had been collecting all these gurus. And the greater problem I had discovered was that due to my insecurities, my anxieties, I was trying to latch on to someone else's confidence, hoping that their clarity would rub off on me. Rather than choosing to simply be still, 
to get quiet, to create space for my soul to breathe, and to simply connect with God and ask Jesus what he needs me to know. See, what I love about spending time with Jesus is that he reminds me who I am first and foremost. He reminds me that I am loved, that I am his child, and that I am enough. The last thing that I want to note about what Jesus does in this passage is that Jesus says no in order to say yes to what really matters. Jesus gave a firm no to the voices, the temptations, the distractions that tried to lure him back into the darkness so that he could say yes to what truly mattered. And that was bringing you and I life, love, forgiveness, freedom, salvation. You see, going back to Israel's 40 years in the desert, it wasn't only a place of testing. It was also a place of divine guidance, the cloud by day or the pillar of fire at night. It was also a place of divine care, where they would feed on the manna that was provided from heaven. It was also a place of divine revelation, where they were given the law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. I just find it fascinating that Jesus relies on the text that illumined Israel's wilderness experience to guide him in his own wilderness experience. And we can do the same thing. We can go back and rely on the lived experiences of those who've gone before us so that we can continue to step into the life that God offers us. Jesus shows us how to do it. Jesus shows us what it means to live from the word of God, to trust God rather than to test God. And he shows us what it means and what it looks like to worship God alone. We get to do the same thing. You can do it too by quieting ourselves, by creating space and removing distractions and digging into the word of God by feeding on it and allowing him to provide you with whatever it is you need. But we need to be willing and ready to fast, to stop the scroll, to stop collecting gurus, and to say no in order to say yes to what truly matters. So the first thing I beg you to consider is a relationship with him. If you're watching tonight and you're like, this sounds great, but like, I, I, I don't know if I have a relationship with God. I, I, I don't know what that looks like. like. Take the first step and just simply pray to him. Talk to him and say, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus, that he lived, died, and rose again, conquering death, conquering the enemy. This is a defeated thing. And I need to make you first in my life. And I want you to enter into this friendship with me. And just start doing life with him. Do you have one? 
Do you need to recommit your life to him? There's no shame in either of those. Just simply reach out and talk to him. Ask him, make him Lord of your life. And as you discern the next right thing, let me ask you, have you taken the decision or whatever it is you're carrying to Jesus? You see, the whole point in all of this is to connect you with Jesus. At the end of the day, it's not your decision that's going to give you peace or hope or joy or satisfaction. It's Jesus. It's not your decision. But it's as you walk with Jesus, as you lean into him and make your next right decision in step with Jesus, that he will fill you with that peace. He will continue to provide you with hope. He will fill you with joy. It's the relationship with Jesus that ultimately will satisfy you. It's not the decision. It's whether or not that decision moves you closer to him or not. So are you walking with him? Is he your go-to? Have you gone to him at all? Let me ask you this as we wrap up. What's distracting you right now? What's getting in the way? Or perhaps another way of asking it is, what needs your attention? What maybe have you been avoiding and putting off, but you need to give it some thought? And then I have something for you to try this week. I want you to take one or two big decisions that you're carrying, and I want you to take it to Jesus. And what I mean by I want you to, to talk to him and say, God, this is what I'm carrying and I don't know what to do. And ask for help, ask for guidance, for insight, for provision, for revelation. And then listen, watch, pay attention. Remove distractions and see how he shows up. Listen for what he wants to say to you. Watch for how he provides for you. And if you're up for taking it a step further, I'm gonna challenge you to fast either for a, a certain day this week or a specific time every day or perhaps just from something. Direct that energy that would be spent on whatever it is you're giving up. Direct that energy to God. Spend that time focused and engaged with God. Read through one of the Gospels. Read through this, the story of Israel in Exodus and Deuteronomy. See how you feel afterwards. I promise you it will revolutionize your life. That you'll look back a week from now and you won't believe where God showed up, where he provided all the small miracles he did for you every day. See, you can make your next right decision with confidence by following Jesus' technique of simply removing the distractions and focusing in on God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our time is in your hands. We confess all the ways that we've tried to manage it rather than surrender it to you. Continue to help us cultivate a strong sense of who you are and what you're doing in our lives so that we can say no to the distractions in order to say more life-giving yeses to the plans and the purposes that you have for us. 
But God, I ask that you be gentle with us because I know for myself, as for many others, we've so long insisted that we can do life on our own. But God, my prayer is that you remind us of who we are in you and help us to discern our next right thing in love. Oh God, as we cultivate this practice and this discipline of doing the next right thing, may it draw us closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.